0: Good morning, my name is Hallie Kay. Our scripture reading today is from Luke eighteen fifteen through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it this is the word of the Lord. Thanks. That's a a scene from uh, the series, The Chosen. If you haven't had a chance to look at that or watch that, uh, it's it's really powerful. And filling out our imaginations, I think, around um, those kinds of episodes with Jesus and and children in so many other places. And I think it reminds us, though, too, uh, that today we take for granted the fact that children in a society are sort of welcomed, they are adored, they're cared for, they're seen as special and, and unique, but, uh, you know, that wasn't always the the case, you know, I mean, in our culture today, children are often the heroes of the story, right? You think about uh, Harry Potter or Hunger Games or Home Alone, even like kids are the heroes. But that was not the way it was in the ancient world. In Jesus' time in the Roman Empire, children were not sentimentalized in the way that they are now. In the ancient world, children were seen as a blessing, yes, but mostly because they were on their way to becoming adults, that they were on their way to becoming fully functional human beings who could help out at the family farm or help out in the family business or trade. They were valued for their instrumental sort of usefulness their potential rather than their intrinsic worth and dignity, which is why in Roman culture it was, it was common, it was normal for unwanted children, whether it was that they were the wrong gender, that they one often it was that they were girls and the family wanted a boy, or that there was anything wrong with the child when it was born, that they were abandoned, exposed, left to die on the side of a road or in a garbage pile. This was not uncommon. But something changed in the Roman Empire over time. There's a marked difference between how children are viewed and talked about and treated as inherently valued before Christianity and after Christianity in the Roman Empire. So what changed? What happened? Well, in short, Jesus happened that's what changed. Jesus said something radically different about children, uh, as, as you can see, as we just heard read a moment ago when Haley K. read this passage for us in Luke 18. But th- more than this just being a heartwarming story about Jesus and kids, we also find here in Luke 18 a deep answer to the question, how do I deal with this nagging sense that I'm not worthy of love? acceptance because every infant is born asking two questions am I loved and can I trust you am I loved and can I trust you and we never stop asking those questions as human beings right whether it's the the uh, first day at a new school uh, whether it's you're going on a first date Uh, joining a new uh, athletic team or a new club at school, first day on the new uh, job, or maybe even your first day visiting a new church, you're asking those questions. Am I loved here? Can I trust these people? And even for those of us who have had good family lives and, and good school experience, somewhere along the way, we encounter someone who does not find us lovable. Maybe it was that first date. We come across someone who isn't worthy of our trust. Maybe it's the new boss. And so much is at stake here because how we deal with that sense that we're not worthy of love or that people can't be trusted will profoundly shape who you become in life. And if you get the wrong answer to that question, you will end up isolating yourself and often excluding others. We're in a series here in this new year called Rediscovering Jesus' Kingdom. Maybe if you've been with us for a while, you remember we were in the Gospel of Luke at the beginning of of last year, beginning of 2020, and we're going to finish out the Gospel of Luke now here in 2021. We're going to start here in January. It will take us through Easter. And we're calling it Rediscovering Jesus' Kingdom because in this Gospel of Luke, Jesus is continually talking about the fact that he is bringing his kingdom He's bringing a kingdom, not just an escape from a broken world to a disembodied heaven. We spent a lot of time in our heaven series over and over talking about that, that we're looking forward not just to floating on the clouds someday, but for heaven and earth to become one and the new heavens and the new earth. But Jesus is bringing a kingdom with a completely different view of reality, of human flourishing, of right and wrong, of the good life, of all of it. And this new reality, Jesus says, is breaking into this present reality even right now in this moment. That it's happening right now with him. And it's centered on a person, around Jesus the King. So what does it mean to be a part of Jesus' kingdom while we are still in this present world? And part of Jesus' answer to that question is to point to children and say, be like them. Be like children. Because children only receive my kingdom, Jesus says here. They are the heroes in my story, in my kingdom. And so I want us to look at this passage with fresh eyes. Again, if you have been around church for a long time, maybe this is one of those passages that's three verses. It's easy to read right over and think, oh, it's good, Jesus loved the little children, and kind of move on. But I want us to look at this with fresh eyes today and hear it anew what Jesus has for us. So if you haven't done that already, I invite you to open a Bible or turn on your Bible on your phone to Luke chapter 18. The Bible, you've got two big chunks in your Bible. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, or the First Testament and the Second Testament, Old Testament New Testament. And in your New Testament, the Gospel of Luke is the third book. It's the third section there. So you've got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, and then find 18, and we're going to begin in verse 15 looking at this. And what you find in verse 15 is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And really the rest of the gospel of Luke, we're going to be following Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem, and he's going there to die. This is his last trip to Jerusalem, and he's warned his disciples, told his disciples several times already, he's going to tell them for a third time later on in Luke 18, that I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going there to die. They don't, they don't get it. They don't understand it. That's, a, that's another sermon for another time. But Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And at some point along the way, Jesus stops in a town to rest and to teach. And the parents in this town, they start bringing out their kids. They bring their kids to Jesus so that he can touch them. The idea there is that he can bless them Say a blessing over them. And the gospel writers, all of them, interestingly, they, they point out that children had this way of finding Jesus and that they loved being around him. So you can kind of picture the scene: There are kids everywhere. There's parents holding babies. They're bringing even, it says, even infants, even the littlest of kids, just newborn babies to Jesus. And you can sense Jesus is loving it. He's laughing. He's having a great time with these kids. And meanwhile, though, the disciples, they see all this happening. These families, these kids, they're they're loud. Maybe some of them are crying. And and they're frustrated because there's a lot of people who want to see Jesus. And they start rebuking these people. And you can imagine them kind of telling the the, the, the parents, get your kids out of—Jesus doesn't have time for them right now. He's been traveling. He's tired. Plus, can't you see? Look, there's there's a lot— of important people waiting to talk to Jesus. In fact, we, we know that there are some culturally important people waiting to talk to Jesus, because in the very next scene of the Gospel of Luke, Luke, which we'll look at next week, we have the rich ruler who seems to be standing right there just waiting for an opportunity to talk to Jesus. They're kind of like, Jesus, look, you've got like a Mark, a Mark Zuckerberg. You've got this, this rich, influential, young person who's waiting to talk to you. You don't have time to just play with these kids, but Jesus isn't going to have any of it. And he calls out directly to the parents and says, you know, ignore them, come here, it's fine. It's fine, come here. And then he looks at his disciples and he essentially says, these kids, they are more ready for my kingdom than you are. They're more ready for the kingdom than you are. And it almost seems like Jesus' implication here is that something happens, <laughs> as we grow up, (laughs) that makes us less able to receive Jesus. And that they've lost something that children get intuitively, that that grown-ups lose slowly over time. So how do we become children again in Jesus' kingdom? That's what we want to look at in these three verses today. And as we do that, we want to, I just want to make kind of four kind of quick observations, quick takeaways as we walk through this passage. And the first one is this, that we see that that children receive from Jesus. Well, grown-ups tend to project onto him. And notice the receiving language in verse 17. Jesus says this, truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And this is actually really unique because Jesus uses the language of receiving. He uses that language quite often, but usually it's about receiving him as a person. This is actually the only place in Luke where he uses it in relation to receiving the kingdom. But the idea then here that we get is that the the reality is that Jesus and his kingdom are inseparable. To receive Jesus is to receive the kingdom. To receive the kingdom is to receive Jesus, they're inseparable, the king and the kingdom. And here's the deal. Children are just better at receiving. Children are better at receiving. As adults, when, I mean, you've had this experience, right? I don't think this is only me. When when you receive a gift, there's often a sense, right, that now now I'm kind of indebted or obligated to this person. Or we're we're kind of weighing like, oh man, like I should have gotten something for them too. I didn't get them a present or, oh But they got me, I think that was more expensive or nicer than when I got them. But I'm telling you, kids do not have any of those hang-ups, right? We just went through Christmas, right? Were you around any little kids over Christmas, whether in person or over Zoom? Like, they just love to get gifts. They love to get presents. They are not thinking, I don't know if I got my cousin something as nice as they just got me. They're just happy to receive. These kids, they... Just want to be with Jesus. They're happy to receive from him. They just come to him. They aren't, they aren't worried about wasting his time. They aren't wondering, oh man, am I, am I kind of obligated to Jesus now? I, I wonder how much time has he spent with me? No. I don't feel like Jesus is doing them, them a favor. They just enjoy him. By contrast, adults tend to project on to Jesus we tend to approach Jesus this way, sort of like, Jesus, if you say and do the right things, then I will trust you and follow you. And I think this is why the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders and really kind of the, the people who were seen as the ones who, who got it, who were following God the best. In the, in the, I mean, after sort of years of seeing Pharisees in the whole gospel story as kind of the bad guys, we, we forget that culturally, like, they were, they were the holy people. They were, the, they were the, the people that everyone looked up to. But why the Pharisees got so much from Jesus is that they, they knew that the Messiah was going to overthrow Rome. They, they knew that the Messiah wouldn't mix with sinners. They knew that the Messiah would agree with their interpretation of the Torah. They had these preconceived ideas that, that they were projecting onto Jesus And when he didn't meet those expectations, when he didn't live up to what they expected, they felt they couldn't trust him, didn't know who he was. But they were wrong. And the disciples are doing the same things here. They they know Jesus doesn't have time for kids. They know that Jesus doesn't want to see these children. But they're wrong. They think he's too tired, he's too important. This will take away from the time he needs with the grown-ups. I mean, shouldn't these kids be in bed anyway? Isn't it, Jesus, isn't it nap time for these kids? But Jesus won't have any of it. The kids get their need for Jesus in a way that the disciples don't. Which actually brings us to our next takeaway this morning, which is this. That children depend on Jesus. Grown-ups tend to resort to him. Children depend on Jesus. grown-ups resort to him. You see, children and infants, they are utterly dependent. Uh, and, and note, again, in verse 15, Luke tells us it's not just kids who are coming, but even babies, infants, are being brought to him. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Now, this, that word infants only used uh, four other times in the gospel of Luke. It, twice it describes John the Baptist before he's even born, when he's yet in Elizabeth's womb. And you know the other two times that it's used? It's used to describe Jesus on the night he's born. The shepherds are told, go find find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Jesus was an infant. He was a baby. And these brand new babies, they're being brought to Jesus, utterly dependent, and Jesus loves them. Because in his kingdom, a posture of dependence on the king is the only way in. And again, kids, I think they get dependency in a way that adults don't. They, they are not afraid to ask. And, and I think I'm seeing, especially in our family, especially if you're the youngest kid in the family. They're just not afraid to ask. We, we see this with, with our little boy, Graham. Um, right now, he's two, and he just, he loves matchbox cars. It is just, that is his thing. He has a big kind of plastic rubbermaid tub, and that tub goes with him to every room of the house throughout the day. He loves his cars. But there are times when he sets down the tub, and then he's, you know, goes and is doing something else, and he sits down, and he's about maybe two feet away from the tub, but he can't reach it, and he wants it about 12 inches closer, but he's sitting, and he'll ask his sisters who are across the room doing something else to get up, stop what they're doing, and move his tub closer to him. Now, he doesn't always get what he wants, but he has no shame in just asking for his sisters or for us to get up, stop what we're doing, to help him move something 12 inches closer to it. right? There's no shame for him in asking. Uh, he's embarrassment-free in his dependency, And grown-ups, on the other hand, we hate dependency, right? Especially in a culture that that tends to to not just affirm responsibility and, um, you know, as a good thing, but tends to idolize individual achievement. That tends to idolize sort of being the self-made man, the self-made woman, the pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and all that. And again, hard work, responsibility are virtues that the Bible extols for us as people who are made in God's image. But not at the expense of our dependence on Jesus. Because again, we were never designed, even in the garden, we were never designed to work and live on our own in our mere humanity. We were always meant, designed to depend On the holy spirit how does jesus live the life that he does as a human by dependence on the spirit we were made for dependence abide in me jesus says and then you'll bear much fruit we have to be dependent but our tendency as adults is to go to jesus only we've after we've exhausted every other option Children go to Him first. We tend to resort to Him last. Uh, next, Jesus, or children tend to share Jesus while grown-ups tend to, tend to protect Him children seem to share him. Jesus, the adults, we often tend to protect him. This is what I mean. The disciples are concerned that Jesus kind of can't stand up for himself, that Jesus almost needs their help to be protected from, from the crowd. It's like, whoa, whoa, you can't just come right up to Jesus. You need to go through us first to make sure that, that he's ready for you, that he can receive you. And, and grown-ups, we tend to do that. You can't come to Jesus yet. You don't, you don't have the right theology. You don't have the right politics. You, you don't have the right lifestyle. And, and that might even be true, right? Some scholars even think that the disciples, part of the reason that they're concerned with these parents coming to Jesus and bringing their kids and, and rebuke them in this is because maybe they had a kind of a superstitious, almost a magical kind of sense that Jesus is this healer and if he touches their kids, that they'll somehow be magically protected. And that they're kind of concerned that this is a distortion of, of, of the, the truth. But you know what? <laughs> Jesus doesn't seem to care. He says, let the kids come, but let these parents come to me. Because the thing is, when you come to Jesus, he then can do the work of nurturing theology and changing your life. But the first thing is to come to him. Jesus doesn't mind. He says, let the children come to me. And I think what's so powerful in this text too, this has really struck me, is that Jesus won't let anyone stand in the way of you coming to him. The disciples are trying to push these kids and parents their way, and Jesus says, no. Jesus will not let anyone stand in the way of you coming to him. Even other disciples, even other Christians, and finally here, Jesus we see in this encounter that, that children want Jesus. grown-ups, we tend to want something from him. Children want Jesus, we tend to want something from him. It, it says something about who Jesus is, that children loved him. That they loved to be with him. They wanted to be with him. Because kids, like, if you spend any time around kids, you know that they can pretty quickly pick up if someone doesn't like them, is not interested in them, is uncomfortable around them. And they don't like fake people, and they don't like overly serious people. What does that mean? Kids love to be with Jesus. It means he must not have been either. Either fake or overly serious. And think about the kinds of people, even right now, who kids love to be around. And much has recently been made, and rightly so, of of Mr. Rogers and films and documentaries and celebrating his life and his work. And why did kids love Mr. Rogers so much? Not just as an on-screen persona, but like genuinely love being around him as a person. Because he was gentle with them. He gave them... His full attention. He listened to them. He laughed with them. He understood them. He wasn't in a hurry with them. He was kind to them. Just listen to that list of descriptions. Gentle, kind, paid attention, listen, not in a hurry. That sounds a whole lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Jesus never forgot what it was like to be a kid. Because remember, he was one. He had been an infant. He had been a child. He'd been a middle schooler. He'd been a high schooler. I think sometimes we, we, we forget that about Jesus. We see Jesus in the manger on Christmas, and then we kind of see him uh, on the cross on Good Friday. And, and we don't have a lot in the gospel accounts, but Jesus was two and four and seven and 17. He lived all of that experience of childhood, and he never forgot what it was to be a kid. And I wonder if part of the reason that Jesus loves children so much is just their honesty, their guilelessness. They come without argument, without baggage. They just wanted him. And they teach an important lesson that Jesus wants his disciples to see, wants us to see, that anyone who wants to know Jesus can know him. Anyone the rich, the poor, the Pharisee, the sinners, the tax collectors, there isn't a group of people in the entire New Testament who are somehow drawn to Jesus. And who Jesus isn't willing to welcome and receive if they come as children in humility, in dependence. So no matter what society says about you, no matter what you say about you, no matter what other disciples or followers of Jesus may say about you, the next step for all of us, whether for the first time or again and again and again, is to come to him. So let me just remind you of that this week as the next step. Come to him for him. In Matthew 11, Jesus says to everyone, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who are dependent, come as children. Come as people who know your need, your lack, your weariness, your heaviness. Uh, Don't be afraid of your weaknesses and your failings. See them, name them for what they are, and let them drive you to Jesus. And I think oftentimes, at least in my own life, my own experience, there are moments when I just feel doubt, when I blow it. And in those moments, I feel like I can't come to Jesus right now. I don't want to come to Jesus right now because I'm disappointed with myself. I'm angry with myself. I'm, I'm frustrated. How could I do this again? But it's not how the gospel works. That's just in those moments of weakness and brokenness and sin. Those are the moments that all drive us to Jesus. It's like, I can't believe I yelled at my kids again. In those moments, don't, don't justify it. Well, they were being really bad. Just own it and let it drive you to Jesus afresh. I mean, you say, I'm so unlovable. What's wrong with me? Why do my relationships always seem to fail? Why can my why do my friendships always seem to break down? Don't wallow in it. Just name it for what it is and say, "Jesus, I need you." And come to him. Cuz you just think Jesus is always ready to talk with you. He is never too busy, never too busy for you. He's always, he he never has a phone in his hand that he's paying attention to. He never has one eye on the TV. He is always ready to give you his full attention, to hear whatever you have to tell him for as long as you have to tell him. He's never in a hurry. He's always ready to listen. And he, I can, I can assure you, friends, he will be way gentler, way kinder to you than you are. And you are lovable for one reason and one reason alone. that Jesus died on the cross. He loved you that much. The cross stands as a sign that you are loved and you are lovable, Uh, not not because of anything that you've done, but simply because Jesus looked at you and said, I love you and I'm going to give my life for you. It isn't based on any achievement that you've done, any record of performance you have, but simply on the promise of John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, so anyone who would believe in him, have eternal life. Eternal life and kingdom language in the Gospels are just one and the same. Anyone to receive the kingdom? And when you have that, when you let your weaknesses and your failure drive you to Jesus like a child, you will find yourself being transformed into a person of of deep humility, of mercy, of kindness, of self-sacrificing love, willing to give up their own preferences and desires for others, to love others, who are asking the question, "What, what needs to be done? How can I help? How can I serve? And when you come to him, Jesus, like I said, he will not let anyone stand in the way If you've been running from him, stop running and come. He's inviting you to come. He's your only hope. He's your only hope to escape the self-loathing, the self-loathing self-talk that will isolate you and cause you to exclude others. Only his love can heal you. And only he can be trusted fully. The cross is the promise of that. The cross is the the reality that he always has your good in mind, that he will stop at nothing, including giving up his own life to do what is best for you. So come to him. Come as a child and receive. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we are taught by Jesus to call you Father, because you have adopted us as children, we are come in that posture of dependence as your children even now. And say so we need help becoming children. We need help becoming like children. And I'm grateful that even as we make that ask, we're already taking the first step in that direction. So this week would you help us to go to you first, instead of last, not as our last resort, but as our first hope and our first joy transform our desires, captivate our imaginations with a a fresh picture of your love for us. It would just make us desire to be with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is working within us to bring those desires about. Amen.